0: Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF.
1: Just before the pandemic was about to take hold, the Magnolia Mothers' Trust started doling out cash. The program in Jackson, Mississippi, gives mothers living in subsidized housing $1,000 a month for 12 months. $12,000, no strings attached. For the couple hundred women selected, the good news
2: came by phone. I said, oh my goodness. I said, "Miss Aisha, please don't tell me I was selected. And she was just laughing. I was like, stop,
3: you, you got this sneaker. <laughs> You sure you caught the right person?
2: It made me feel good. It was a good feeling. Uh, that my spirit was uplifted. <laughs> Ooh, I was grateful, appreciative.
1: Cash. It might be the best and easiest way to help people in need. Give them money and let them spend it however they want. And for women like Dwanita Johnson, a substitute teacher with two kids, the call from the Magnolia Mothers Trust couldn't have come at a better time.
2: When pandemic hit, I was out on spring break and we weren't able to go back to work. So I was like, wow, I was like, I knew I had the reserves, but then we didn't know when we were going to go back to work. So I was beginning to start worrying. And then all of a sudden, the same week I was out, I got a call from Motors Trust with that great news. Before,
1: she says, she was barely getting by. She made $65 a day and was constantly juggling between paying her car loans, her life insurance, her other bills. She had tried to take on a second job in the evenings, but couldn't keep up with the physical demands of it after teaching all day.
2: I just needed the extra money. I just needed extra money. I was tired of juggling.
1: The pandemic could have stretched her even thinner. When schools went virtual, she was out of a job. But not only did she get a call in March 2020 that she'd be getting monthly cash payments from the Magnolia Mothers Trust, she eventually qualified for enhanced unemployment benefits too. An extra $734 a week. With all that money coming in, she had enough to pay her bills on time, to save, to think about moving.
2: Oh, it felt good because I was able to go ahead and pay everything right away on time. Just pay everything as it was due.
1: By the end of the year, Duanita had earned $30,000 and had saved almost half of it.
2: To be honest, the type of money that I was bringing in, that is the type of income that I really would love to have.
1: During the pandemic, cash was a surprisingly common and popular antidote to the economic crisis in the U.S. And for people like Duanita, it not only helped them stay afloat, it gave them a kind of financial security and stability they never had before. It was the best-case scenario. But can it be a permanent solution?
3: Jobless claims coming in, I mean, really jumping from the week before. Pretty brutal, 3.2
4: million. A record 6.6 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. Some of you may be asking, where's my money? I need that money. London working
5: women were the worst impacted by the pandemic. Well, now to the billionaire
4: boom. According to Bloomberg, super yacht charters are up over 340%. And a billionaire was created every 26 hours during this pandemic. No, I'm not waiting in line for a COVID test with the public, gross.
0: It is time for a wealth tax in America. Welcome
1: back to The Paycheck. I'm Rebecca Greenfield. Last week, we heard a worst-case scenario. Skyrocketing inequality spiraling out of control. That's what a lot of economists thought would happen around the world. And early in the pandemic, it seemed like that was the path the U.S. was headed down. For me, one of the defining images of spring 2020 were those viral photos of car lines snaking around food banks.
5: Two months into this pandemic, the strain on some families is at a fever pitch with no jobs, no income, no way to pay rent. Even putting food on the table is difficult. Like the lines for free food in New Orleans, desperation is growing by the day. That scenario would have been
1: a continuation of decades-long trends in the U.S. Despite being one of the most equal countries in the world after World War II, Heading into the pandemic, wealth inequality here had reached levels not seen in almost a century. Since 1980, the wealthiest 1% of Americans have almost tripled their share of wealth. It was a concerning situation heading into the pandemic. And right when the virus hit, things looked really bad. The economy shut down, millions of people couldn't work, and the stock market crashed. It felt a lot like the 2008 recession, or worse.
0: What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Two-year no-yields went from 190 to 166 in the blink
4: of an eye. The Nasdaq, everything and more has been completely wiped out. It was the worst day on Wall Street since the crash of 1987.
1: But then something surprising happened. The government stepped in with a robust policy response, much of which was targeted at low- and middle-income Americans. There were multiple rounds of stimulus checks for people making $75,000 or less, There was enhanced unemployment, an extra $600 per week for anyone out of work due to COVID. Small business owners were eligible for forgivable loans. And then there was the expanded child tax credit, checks that parents received in the mail every month for six months. Ben Steverman, the Bloomberg wealth reporter who I spoke to last week, told me that all those cash injections gave some Americans an amount of wealth they'd never had before.
6: People were saving the money. They were paying down debt. And... That ended up boosting the net worths of a lot of families in in the United States who really had never had significant amounts of wealth. You know, if you look at surveys going back years, a significant share of the population, more than a third, say they, they struggled to come up with $400 in an emergency. I mean, there were a lot of people who were really cutting it close before the pandemic, and suddenly they found themselves feeling like they had some financial wherewithal and some resources to rely on in an emergency. That child tax credit alone was hugely responsible for lifting millions of children out of poverty.
1: In other words, the COVID crisis disrupted growing wealth inequality in the U.S. Now the question is, can wealth gains for the bottom 50% continue? While much of the government funding was never meant to last beyond the pandemic, in dozens of U.S. cities, cash experiments are underway. They're not as widespread as the stimulus or child tax credit payments, but they could offer a roadmap for a more permanent wealth-building tool. My colleague Susan Burfield looks at Jackson, Mississippi, where some 200 low-income Black mothers received enough money during the pandemic to sometimes double their income.
7: Here she is with the story. In the summer and fall of 2019, Tamika Calhoun was going through a tough time.
3: Everything just started going downhill, like everything. If it could go wrong, it did. I was struggling to find a job. I would work here and there for different um, jobs where I'm taking care of someone. But it didn't last long because I didn't have transportation.
7: One day in early January 2020, as she was on her way to a new job, her Nissan Murano cut out. It was six in the morning, dark, and she was stuck in the middle of the interstate. The police called her a tow truck. If she paid $200, the driver could get the car to her home. But Tamika was short. By the
3: time I came up with the money they told me I would need, it was $50 a day and I didn't have that to get it out. And because I didn't have reliable transportation, they let me go.
7: Tamika lost her car and her job. But then her luck started to change. She found work she could do from home answering calls for Apple, making almost $14 an hour. It was good timing. She couldn't have known, but COVID was about to close in. And right after that, Tamika found out that she'd be receiving $1,000 a month from the Magnolia Mothers Trust. It's the first program to simply give cash to low-income Black mothers living in affordable housing. It was started in 2018, meant for the everyday shocks and stresses of trying to get by on not enough, to give single mothers some room to breathe, to plan. And on that March day of 2020, Tamika's first thought was about all the things, the basic things she wanted for her family.
3: I was thinking about all the things that we needed for the house, for the kids. They were growing out of their clothes. I finally was able to get them covers for their beds, because they had the same covers for a long time. Just things to clean up with around the house or hair products, personal care products. I was able to kind of stock up on that stuff. They were excited because they were looking forward to trying out for different things at school that they usually wouldn't be able to try out for because I wouldn't have the funds to pay for it.
7: The pandemic quickly changed some of her calculations about what her family would need. And the extra money proved crucial in ways she couldn't have expected. No new after-school activities, no vacation. Instead, she had to set up her five kids to learn online at home.
3: So I had to use the money to buy them
7: computers. I bought them desks for their rooms to make it more structured. They also got the new clothes she had wanted for them. She got a car, which opened up all kinds of possibilities. And eventually, they got to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a night away.
3: And it it felt good saving to go on a vacation and not just using a whole check to pay for a vacation. Like we had money in our savings. We were able to go and actually have fun.
7: The idea behind the program Tamika participated in may sound familiar. It's called a guaranteed income, and it's about giving people cash. Unlike most safety net programs, there's no bureaucracy, no owner's requirements. It's an idea that goes way back. But it was in 2020 when Andrew Yang based his presidential campaign on the idea that people really began talking about it again.
2: The first time you heard
3: it, you were like, ha ha, that's a gimmick. That'll never happen. But if you dig into it, you will find this is not an Andrew Yang idea. This is a Thomas Paine idea. This is a Martin Luther
7: King idea. And soon this is going to be the idea of the American people that takes us all the way to the White House in 2021. Then came the pandemic and the racial justice protests. And it seemed that giving people cash could be one way to right some economic wrongs. Now cities around the country are experimenting with different programs. Some are for any resident who lives close to the poverty line. Others, like in Jackson, are specifically for mothers, or residents of color.
0: Today, applications open for the much-anticipated BREATHE program. It is an L.A. County guaranteed income program for 1,000 residents.
7: More than 100 people in Providence are the first to receive a monthly check for $500. 150
0: households across San Diego County getting a check for $500 today. The Baltimore Young
6: Family Success Fund will
0: support 200 young parents between 18
6: and 24 years old with unconditional cash payments.
7: These experiments all have two things in common. They provide cash without any restrictions. And they want to prove that the money won't be wasted. Data collected over decades and across the world already show that recipients spend the money on the things they need most. And since the U.S. government gave out a lot of cash during the pandemic, we now also have all the data on how those payments helped keep people from sliding into poverty. But stereotypes persist and critics remain.
4: There's not a lot of trust associated with giving money to to the working class.
7: That's Steven Nunez, a sociologist and economist who's been studying anti-poverty programs for more than a decade and guaranteed income programs for the past three years. He works for the Jane Family Institute in New York.
4: There's this sort of assumption that they're going to misuse the funds. Maybe they'll you know, loaf around if you don't attach it to some kind of work requirement. Maybe they'll use it on gambling and drugs and, and, and alcohol if you don't sort of limit it and turn it into a voucher like with food stamps. None of the literature supports that. The, the literature basically shows you give people cash and they use it Sorts of the ways that you might expect them to use it to to pay off debt, to make big purchases, to buy toys and food and clothing for their kids.
7: For kids especially, cash pays dividends later in life.
4: You know, early intervention when children are are young to prevent them from growing up in poverty can actually reap huge rewards in terms of their long-term health, in terms of their long-term labor market outcomes, criminal justice involvement uh, and education and so forth. It's the quick and easy way to do it. It's very effective. It can be cost-effective.
7: Aisha Yandoro, who leads the Magnolia Mothers' Trust, came to similar conclusions through her work in Jackson. She grew up there, left to earn a doctorate in community psychology, and then returned after deciding academia wasn't for her after all. She helped found Springboard to Opportunities in 2013 to provide services that families in subsidized housing actually asked for like homework help for their kids and home ownership classes for themselves. When we're talking about families that live in extreme poverty, especially in this country,
5: we never ask them what it is that you want or what it is that you need. It really is a hierarchy based on us telling them what they need, what their needs are, and it's based on deservingness or ideas of deservingness.
7: By 2017, though, she had become concerned that all those programs still weren't helping enough families out of poverty.
5: So many of our families talk about home ownership as their main goal for themselves. They talk about the picket fence and we weren't seeing that happen. Every story that we heard was something that could be addressed with money. No one was saying we need more programming. What we were hearing is, oh, well, I can't get to my job because my car isn't working and I have to pay someone gas money to get me to my job. Or what we heard was, uh, you know, uh, my daughter matriculated to the next level of the science fair. I'm really excited for her. But now that's really stressful because I got to figure out the $25 application fee. As we were was listening to this and listening to families, I became really frustrated because I was like, this is stuff that can be Fixed with money and not a lot of money, like a relatively small amount of money. And so I began researching. I'm like, okay, how do you give people money?
7: Aisha asked Tamika and a few other women about the idea of just receiving some cash. She was asking us, I guess,
3: because it would go to mothers like us. Like, what would we use it for? And, you know, do we think there should be stipulations that come with it and us being so used to things having stipulations we were like yeah it should be some stipulation you know you shouldn't just give it away
5: our moms were very clear that they did not want to become dependent on this money they wanted it really to be a springboard the first year it was a lot of (laughs) even though our moms love and trust us there was a lot of girl quit playing y'all just not gonna give us money one of the women Send me, Miss Aisha, like, this really sounds like a scam. And I was like, you're right. This really does sound like a scam. And if anybody else ever
2: calls you saying they're going to do this, don't believe them. You're exactly right.
7: <laughs> Finding the money to fund the program, even two years into the pandemic, still isn't easy. Like almost all of the local guaranteed income experiments across the country, the Magnolia Mothers Trust depends on philanthropy, not public money.
5: Less than 1% of philanthropic dollars come to the South. And of that 1%, less than 1% goes to organizations that are ran by Black women or Black people. We have successfully helped usher in a new movement, which feels really, really good. And to know that we are doing all of that (laughs) in the backyard Uh, of one of the least progressive states in this country is pretty
7: dope. In the first year of the program, Aisha raised enough money to give 20 mothers $1,000 a month.
5: I know that for the families that we work with, in a lot of instances, poverty has been systemic. uh, And it's been generational poverty. And I know that we are disrupting that pattern and saying, okay, we see you, we trust you, we know you're brilliant, we know you have
7: agency, we know that you should be allowed to dream just like I'm allowed to dream. Since then, the Magnolia Mothers Trust has been able to include about 100 women each year. And Aisha has seen just what she and lots of others expect to see when people get extra cash. During the pandemic, they could pay their rent, buy enough food for their families, make sure they had Wi-Fi. They go about living their
5: lives, uh, and they go about taking care of business. Uh, They get their car repaired. uh, They pay off debt. They go back to school. uh, They get better jobs because now they actually can take off work. Because, you know, if you're working an hourly job,
7: you don't have PTO where you can take off work to go interview for a job. For Tamika, the extra cash sort of raised the stakes. As it was coming to an end, she didn't want to go back to life on $14 an hour.
3: I need to be able to make an income that either matches this or surpasses it. And when I say this, I mean my job plus the um, Magnolia
7: Mother's Trust money. So Tamika decided to look for another career. And she found one. I work
3: for a company that helps their members become homeowners. So they apply with us to get their loan. And what we do is we give them financial counseling to get them ready for the home ownership process. It's, it's fulfilling for me to know that I help them achieve their goal, a goal that I want for myself,
7: so I know how they feel. Tamika started her new job in November 2020. Then she realized that with her higher salary, she was likely to lose her housing subsidy she could finally afford to move, even if she couldn't yet afford to buy. Her family left the apartment for a house with a backyard.
3: I was able to move and we didn't have to worry about using a whole paycheck to pay for the um, first month's rent or paying the, the deposit. Not only that, my kid's dad, he ended up finding another job. And now that he's been at that job, his salary has increased, so all of that encouraged us to just want more.
6: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor q and Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at Forum.com.
7: Some of the women who got cash from the Magnolia Mothers Trust might otherwise have fallen through the cracks. Sharika Washington had suffered a difficult pregnancy, couldn't work, didn't qualify for unemployment. She was still recovering from an umbilical hernia in March 2021, when she learned she'd be getting $1,000 a month for the next year.
2: At first, we was like, what's the catch, you know? It's gotta be a catch somewhere. What is the catch?
7: When she found out there was no catch, Sharika told her kids that she could get them a treat, a Nerf gun for her eight-year-old son, and for her six-year-old daughter...
2: I call her Princess Patty. She's into the the nail polish and the lip gloss and the little beady bracelets and
7: the purses. Then Sharika got herself a car.
2: It was seventeen hundred. I had a 2007 Ford Focus, little gray, little dude, And once I got the car, I was still able to manage the money to pay my bills. You know, it was a big help. It was a big financial help.
7: When I talked to Sharika in March, she was about to receive the last of the cash. She had just found a job, working in a nursing home, making over $10 an hour. It wasn't as much as she had hoped to earn, but she was excited all the same.
2: Can you believe it? Oh my goodness. I went to two interviews with my daughter on my hip, (laughs) but I start one Monday at seven in the morning. What's
7: $12,000 worth? Peace of mind, some hope. New local programs like the Magnolia Mothers Trust are starting almost every month. And while the idea of cash grants may seem like something reserved for these small pilot projects funded only by philanthropists, there's actually a recent example of how to scale this up in the U.S. It's the child tax credit. Families got up to $300 a month for each child. The check just came in the mail. It was one of several government-funded stimulus programs during the pandemic.
5: I think the child tax credit is a perfect example of what a targeted guaranteed income program would look like on, at a federal level. We got a blueprint right there. <laughs> And not only do we have a blueprint, we have data, a plethora of data that showed in real time what those resources meant for families.
7: But the momentum for more permanent national support has faded. The child tax credit wasn't extended. Stimulus checks won't be coming again. And for opponents of these kinds of programs, the data may be besides the point.
4: That's not really what the what the battles are about, right? Again, they're about deservingness and and you know what kind of safety net we want and what kind of society we want to be. And and that's an that's an ongoing battle. I was naive to
5: not really understanding how pervasive ideologies around deservingness really are. And that how we truly view poor people within this country um, is that they deserve to be poor because of behavioral choices, not recognizing that they are poor because of systemic choices, because of policy choices that are put in place, and because of policy choices that, if I'm being honest, the majority of us allow to be put in place. And I also say oh, this other part that's been hard, and this is. I think it's the most uh, damning part of poverty, but this is also, I think, a tactic of the system of how they work, is that because the mainstream narrative is really about behavioral shifts and behavioral changes that need to occur, so many of the women that we work with actually believe that. And they believe that, oh, if I work enough or if I save enough or if I do more of this, then I will have that American dream. And that's just not the reality. You can't work any harder than you're already working if you have three jobs. But they don't see that because the mainstream narrative is that they're the problem and they buy into that.
1: Deservingness. That's something that also came up in my conversation with Ben when I asked him why the response to the pandemic was so different from previous economic crises in the U.S. He said that, for a brief moment, nobody blamed anyone for being out of work or needing help. They blamed the virus. That's not how people generally see poverty here. Tamika, for her part, thinks the policymakers are getting it wrong.
3: I think there's a disconnect. I don't think that they see the struggle. I think the people who are making the rules are not on the ground with the you know with the people who are actually out here working and trying to make a living or people who can't work but want a better life like they they deserve to be in nice houses too not everybody's just looking for a handout some people actually want to live and live a better life but they have limited resources we're not asking for a handout we're asking for help like just we, we're working, we're getting up every day, doing what we're supposed to do. We just want to be able to provide for our children.
1: Next week on The Paycheck, we head to a part of the world that had lifted millions out of poverty by educating young girls until the pandemic hit. Now those girls are trying to get back on track.
3: For me, I see lights. I see, like, I'm going to that moon that I wanted. Thanks for
1: listening to The Paycheck. If you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, Rebecca Greenfield, and reported by Susan Burfield, Sarah Holder, and Ben Stieberman. It was edited by Nicole Flato with help from Francesca Levy, Janet Paskin, Rakshita Saluja, and me. We also had editing help from Danielle Balby, Shelley Banjo, Kristen B. Brown, Jilda DeCarly, Alyssa McDonald, and Kai Schultz. This episode was produced by Gilda DeCarly and sound engineered by Matt Kime. Our original music is by Leo Sidron. The women you heard at the top of the show were Tamika Calhoun, Dewana Johnson, Elsie McCoy, and Sharika Washington. Special thanks to Magnus Henriksen, McKinnon DeKuyper, Margaret Sutherland, Stacey Wong, and Aisha Diallo. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. See you next week.